When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to A Little Bit Dusting. All things country, rural, and outback Australia. Grab a hot or cold one and enjoy the conversation ahead. G'day, guys. Welcome to another episode of A Little Bit Dusty. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm your host, Tyson Godden. Decided to give a quick thanks to everyone who's sent us messages and given us some great positive feedback on last week's conversation I had with Isaac Holmes. It was great to catch up with Isaac, but also hear some more about his stories, about some of the places that he's traveled and worked in some of the lessons that that he learned from being in those areas, some of the people he met, and what he really gained out of those experiences. It was a great conversation. I had a wonderful time chatting to him, and he's further encouraged me to go out and do a season, whether it's mustering or being a farmhand out sometime next year, hopefully. That way I can just get right in the thick of it and walk the walk, essentially, and get a bit more of an understanding on just how hard the work required is for a lot of our farmers to ensure that good quality produce and other goods reach our supermarkets with ease and the detailed effort that goes into making sure that we have the highest quality food available. So this week's episode is a bit of a mix-up. Uh, before we start, I've decided to give Scott Graham from Mirror Book of Pork a quick shout-out and a quick thank you for providing me with this lady's contact. We're talking to Deborah Novak, and she's the president of the Australian Farmers Markets, and she has conquered many, many achievements during her time being within the food industry. This is a pretty interesting conversation, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Please make sure that you like and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you do so and give us a rate and review and a comment on each episode you listen to, it'll make those who want to find our podcast in the travel category find it easier. It'll keep our numbers uh, in the charts climbing higher and it'll make those digital algorithms nice and healthy. We're also on Instagram as well. You can find us at a underscore little bit dusty. That's where you can find snippets of the episodes, some photos from my travels, some other cool related content as well. And I'm also on Twitter at BigTice93. So we're saying that, here's this week's episode. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We've got another very interesting guest with us this week. She's achieved a lot and been involved with a lot of the farmers markets and uh, some councils up in northern New South Wales as well. So keen to find out more, we're talking to Deborah Novak and she joined us now. Deborah, how's it going? Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me on today. I'm going fantastic. Ah, That's the way. No worries. Actually, before we start, I should say a big thank you to Scott Graham from Mirror Book of Pork for providing me with your contact. So, um, yeah, he's the reason that we're going to have this yarn today and it should be pretty interesting. So thanks again, Scott. And, yeah, thanks again, Deborah, for uh, joining us today. So you've been involved in the Clarence Valley Council for some time. Uh, Can you take us through some of your roles and some of the achievements there since you've been there? 
Okay, so I'm in my second term as an elected councillor. So in councillor terms, that's not actually a a long time. Um, So I'm also in that role as a councillor. I take on chairs of different committees. So I'm chair of the Sale Yards Committee and I've just taken on being the chair of the Bushfire Management Committee, the Floodplains Management Committee and the two two councils. That's some big roles. Yeah, 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 yeah. But great team around me. So, uh, yeah, no, there's some awesome people there. Yeah, okay. I can imagine, especially for, uh, yeah, for that context and that kind of thing too, you'd want to be surrounded with good people, especially if it's yeah. all for, yeah, emergency kind of things like fires and floods. What kind of venture, exactly. what kind of venture do you into um, being in the, involved with those kind of uh, groups of people in the first place? What ventured you into helping people in the emergency kind of situations? Okay, so I'm um, chair of an organisation called Clarence Valley Food Inc., which is external to council. And uh, our organisation uh, is the baby of a, a national program called the Farming Together Program, which began five years ago. And um, and we came together as an advocacy group to support our uh, farmers and food producers um, from in the Clarence Valley. So through that networking and advocacy and education, um, I've come to really uh, get to meet a lot of whole new people in my life and um, connect with um, different sectors and industries uh, through that farming and ag sector and um, and work firsthand with them uh, during their time when adversity strikes like the, the drought and the black summer bushfires the floods and and the pandemic and uh, so it's through uh, being at the cold face of working with our farmers that um, I've been able to uh, connect them to or some of them during their time of need to some um, different agencies that can come in and support them as well okay. as local agencies as well. So in amongst yeah, in amongst doing that kind of work as well, it seems almost like you surround yourself with uh, some big challenging tasks. I think. Must have been over a decade ago. You were um, given the opportunity to find a wise way to spend. I think it was what about two million dollars to develop some of these food projects yeah. in the northern rivers yeah. of, of um, yeah of northern New South Wales. So what's uh yeah you ever tell us a little bit more about that? It seems like um yeah quite an interesting task you would have had at hand. So what happened ten years ago? Um, the government gave the north northern rivers area two million dollars to spend on creating some uh, food security programs, and so each council in our Northern Rivers Zone were um, able to pitch for projects and Clarence Valley Council pitched to do uh, a community garden and a farmer's market. And uh, I was um, a part of the farmer's market conversation where I worked with a local um, council manager who happened to be a a vegetarian and advocate for um, food sustainability. Uh, worked with him to develop a farmer's market model uh, and rules and policy to uh, help strengthen and provide food security within the Clarence Valley, which is the farmer's market. So I've been using this same model um, to create another one in Grafton and I've just been approved to do a monthly one, another one in Yamba, focusing on world food. Oh, well food, Yeah, yeah, yeah. World food, yeah. So basically... um, bringing together our world cultures because a lot of the um, uh, non-traditional food that's grown throughout Australia has been brought here by other countries or other cultures. And um, so whether it's dates in Central Australia or um, 
uh, wine in um, the Barossa, you know, which is, I think, Italian and um, Germany heritage. These people who brought, you know, came to our country um, as indentured as an indentured labour force also brought their culture with them. So, uh, which have led to, you know, hundreds of years later uh, to be viable industries today. Yeah, that's a very good point, and that's also a really great idea to, uh, to keep each kind of market interesting with different themes and a rotation of different foods. So you're not essentially going to see the same thing, I suppose. That's um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Does that being involved with all those markets as well? Do you reckon that's given the public a bit more of an understanding of the effort um, that's gone into producing local foods and a bit more of appreciation for it as well, rather than going to just a major league supermarket, so to say? Look, I think when you go to a supermarket, and look, and they have um, a purpose, and that's convenience shopping. Uh, whereas your farmers markets offer a total different um, uh, you know, experience, and that's where you can actually get to talk with your farmer and um, maker and baker, but also offers a sense of community where you can actually be face to face. One of the things I really love is seeing um, uh, in the past five years since I've had the farmers market, a lot of little kids who I've seen them, you know, in their mum's belly, and they're now, you know, toddlers walking around the farm market and you know shopping with their parents yeah, and eating with their nice. parents and it's it's so lovely to see that you know oh, what I would call cradle do uh, grave shopping experience right. because we have a whole range yeah. <laughs> a whole range of um, ages uh, and and you know age demographics at the farmers market so it's like intergener- intergenerational so it's really lovely and people take time to engage and you know spend oh, time there yeah mm. yeah it's not just you know in and out sort of thing yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Like what you were saying before, you're watching, well, growing with your customers, I suppose, and then, yeah, them them finding out uh, more about what they're buying, but also it's that personal, yeah, that kind of personal touch, that personal extra to your shopping experience, having that relationship with your your, your grower and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it's pretty important. Mm. We've done a lot of uh, research within the market as well, and Many people have told me that um, one of the reasons they do come to the farmer's market as well is so that they can not just talk to the farmer but um, engage with people because often that's the only people they actually get to talk with once a week. Oh, right. And um, they don't don't see other people. So um, Mm. that's such an extraordinary experience just to be there and be around human beings that are warm and friendly and and not to mention the uh, good um, dance beats that I have there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, that starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, we're not back for that dancing at um, that hour. But, uh, yeah, no, it's a really exciting and just warm and, you know, friendly place to be at that hour of the morning where the people are out you know, shopping um, there, but also they may have been out walking or surfing or, oh, you yeah. know. And stop um, through on the way through or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, because mm. we're actually right at the end of the mouth of the Clarence River. All right. And so you've got the dolphins, you know, I mean, it's the perfect setting. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just a really idyllic location. Mm. And what you were saying before about, yeah, for some people that's the only time they can um, get to see other people once a week, I didn't really hadn't really taken that into account. It seems like it adds a bit more of that or just another value to the whole experience of going there. Like it means a lot to a lot of people rather than just getting your just uh, groceries for the week essentially. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's a well-being um, uh, value. That's the word, because- yeah. 
Yeah, during the pandemic, uh, there's been a lot of isolation and in, you know, possibly even in normal times anyway, people, you know, as a society, because we don't have our family members around us all the time, we can live in isolation. And um, just by that experience of coming to the farmer's market and having people actually just smile at you and real people just smile at yeah. you is can be a very uplifting experience. I know it sounds basic, but those things, there's such a a core for well-being in our community. Mm. And it's those simple things that give us the most joy sometimes too. So, Oh, exactly, exactly. And the same for our storeholders as well who often do work in isolation as well. And because a lot of them uh, are farmers, they have been through um, uh, the trauma of our fires and our floods and, you know, the, um, the isolation being on the farm. So for them to come to the farmer's market is really, you know, engaging for them to be around the storeholders and their customers because they feel valued and wanted. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to touch base on what you're saying before about uh, the community garden and um, the, yeah, other, the garden markets you're planning for, um, the things you're involved with the council. I know the last place I lived at, I had, I made just a little veggie garden out of these uh, scrap oil drums and I had different basil things growing in them and um, I've got some chilies growing in the, the back of my place now and just the time taken to water and watch them grow, it is a very therapeutic uh, kind of thing. It does, it does, does tick a lot of uh, positive boxes. How important is it for communities to look after and maintain and, uh, you know, receive the joys of a, you know, a garden as well as the, not just that but a meeting place to, um, you know, maintain and have that extra level of just understanding or the appreciation of how everything grows in that process before it gets sold off to uh, for produce? So we've got, um, so the community garden here is really extraordinary as well because they've actually created a, um, a, a what do you call it, a pizza um, bakehouse there as well. Okay. So they make the pizzas from the veggies that are there. And so they make those after they've all been working in the garden. So they have lots of little um, workshops there as well. Oh, great. And there's a whole um, range, again, of different people who are coming and going who have their plots there as well. And there's a lot of, um, you know, exchanging of culture, um, exchanging of ideas and exchanging of work as well. So there is that engagement through gardening, which is really exciting as, um, you know, as well. And it's been going for 10 years, uh, the same as the farmer's market. And, uh, and it just keeps growing bigger and bigger. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, the more the merrier, so <laughs> that's always a plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, people move on and, you know, but the they um, they come and actually have a stall at the farmer's market occasionally. Uh, but, you know, it's just this really wonderful, um, you know, so rather than meeting at a pub, yeah. it's like where they're meeting at a community garden that's, you know, offers just a different space altogether. Mm. And it's out in the sun, which is always an advantage too. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of got you interested in... Uh, organising all these in the first place? Did it start from the love of, uh, you know, your own backyard garden and looking to expand and help others do the same? Or did you just, were you always just uh, keen to help, you know, work with groups of people to, um, you know, achieve things for produce? Where did it all kind of stem from? Well, um, when I was um, uh, back in the day when I was younger uh, and uh, a new mum, um, and I was a stay-at-home mum for 10 years, uh, and I chose to stay at home for 10 years to give my children the best opportunity of having mum there. And um, so in doing that, I had a, a massive big vegetable garden and um, and was that stay-at-home cook as well. So 
Uh, I have to say my three children um, are all really great cooks now because we just got into that, um, you know, that habit of, uh, you know, growing things and then, you know, making and baking things inside the house. And we will often have little um, dinner parties with my kids' friends where we might feature a different country. And um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we might go, let's do barley. So we'd go, you know, wear sarongs and we'd serve food on um, banana leaves, Ah, not use knives. Do the whole full Monty. (laughs) The full thing, yeah. And uh, I actually had one of my kids' friends, um, and my kids are like in their early 30s now, um, even said to me the other day, I remember when we had dinner at your place and we didn't use knives and forks. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was really, yeah, it was so such an eye-opener for them. So, you know, just, and food, it just, you know, um, uh, it just is such an open, open of conversations. And uh, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, a couple of the guys out there who do um, reconciliation on a plate, so Clayton Donovan. And um, he he has that conversation with the the wider community and um, around racism, and it's um, through food he can have that conversation okay. and share his culture. So um, Clayton's been um, a, a guest at a couple of our events up here in the Clarence Valley a few times. Uh, we've had a couple of big major um, food. Uh, experiences like food events where he's been the headline chef um, and he's been wonderful to um, bring his culture and you know, share his stories. He's a, um, a Gumbangim Bunjalung um, man and he just brings this wealth of experience and knowledge to the table when he comes to, you know, um, share his joy of food with us and, and native food in particular. Oh, very nice. Mm. Yeah, it'd be a pleasure that you could have um, yeah, that guest on as well, especially, yeah, I've thought about that often as well, that, um, sorry, not music, uh, food is, yeah, it can it can communicate with people in a lot of different ways. So, but yeah, using it, oh, yeah. Using it to think about, yeah, how you're treating other people and um, the awareness of racism and stuff, that's a very interesting point. Can you imagine how boring it would be if we didn't have all the world foods on our table? It yeah, would be very boring. Yeah, absolutely. Potatoes, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> these, now, these markets you're involved in and that you help run everything else, they're all... Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Community run, but not so much for pro- like run by private enterprise. What do you reckon are some of the distinct differences between a community run market and a private the enterprise uh, farmers market? So there's some um, very vast differences between running a community run um, enterprise and a private um, enterprise. And really at the end of the day, it's what uh, those community groups uh, want to um, focus on and their set of rules that they use to uh, create their operations. So it's not, you know, um, it's not, uh, I guess it's not always the same for everybody and um, and all committees are different and, you know, and, and all committees operate under different models as well, whether it's a cooperative, whether it's a, um, a business for good, whether it's an incorporated body. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, all those different, you know, um, and, and look, and they operate for different reasons as well, um, whereas, you know, business enterprise can be, um, or private enterprise can, which is what I do, um, it was an opportunity that goes through council, goes out to tender, and anybody can apply for that tender process. And uh, But, um, you know, like I said, each region has their own different business models in which they operate. And, uh, and you know, they're reviewed. Um, councils have, uh, not all councillors, councils, sorry, have policies um, that underpin their farmers' markets. But, um, and I think, you know, as we move um, into, creating a stronger food security people will question um, council's roles in providing platforms to have those um, deeper conversations around um, what rules should apply to a farmer's market for their food security so whether it's um, uh, you know a lock of wall footprint of 150 kilometers or 100 kilometers whether they can bring in wholesale or retail you know the rules can you know they're there for you to create them yourself yeah okay but you were saying before on food security uh, that kind of relies on water security as well as well as uh, I think what you've put here is innovation and transport logistics from farm inputs and outputs what's your and that often uses a lot of labor and a lot of you know a lot of hands involved for the you know from start to from start to finish of each of these markets a lot of uh, work required by a lot of people. What do you reckon is your take on some of the um, automated machines that have been introduced oh, yeah. to do some so of these similar AI roles? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, look, you know, um, I find it really interesting that uh, the federal government can't find a labour hire um, of Australians um, where they feel the need to have um, uh, special visas to bring in foreign labour mm. when we've got, you know, a very high unemployment here in this country and why those people can't be skilled up or young people can't be skilled up to fill, fill in um, uh, as a gap year to become, you know, workers on farms throughout this country for seasonal picking. To me, that's your best, you know, way of, um, you know, operating because that money stays in the country and it's reinvested back into yeah. the community. Yeah, I agree with and that. And the circular economy. Mm. And also the um, investing in building capacity and skills 
in those young people or whoever can also uh, support those farmers uh, during um, natural disasters as well. So on the back of the uh, bushfires, the Black Summer bushfires, we still have farmers who still don't have their their fences fixed, right, because we don't have... Uh, a labour force around here in the northern, um, in the Clarence Valley in particular, that um, is here to fix those fences. So, because it's a contractor's market at the moment, yeah. uh, they can set the price, um, and which is great, but you know, they can set the price, but um, there is this chronic labour shortage here because, you know, they've either been off working in the mines or they're out somewhere earning more money. Yeah, yeah, that's true as well. And something I've thought of as well is a lot of people, I mean, including myself, when they, as soon as they leave high school, it's usually still a couple more years of fiddling around with either certain uh, fields of work or groups of people to really decide what you want to do. So I think having yeah. that opportunity to go out either straight from school and do a season out uh, working in a farm, farm somewhere, whether it's picking or um, you know, any other task required, I think would be great. It would be really fantastic mm. because what you're doing is, especially for city kids who've never, don't know where their food is grown or, you know, how it's grown or, you know, anything like that, to see how food, the, the time that goes into growing food um, would just be such an eye-opener for them. And, you know, and for those farmers or for those kids going out on farm, it's not just about, you know, putting your hand in the soil. It's also about the technology around that supports that farmer to do his operations. So yes. it can be IT, it can be, you know, chemical analysis, it can be soil analysis, can be weather watching, you know, it can be machinery and mechanical. There's a whole gamut of um, skill sets required to support a farmer in their farming operations. And all industries at the moment um, are transitioning through to the digital economy. And um, the media, you know, went through 15 years ago and um, the farming sector is, you know, on its way. Uh, But the seafood industry now are starting their digital disruption um, period as well. So we're in a state of play where um, the only thing I can, I guess, um, compare it to is about 100 years ago when we moved from um, manual labour to mechanical labour. So in sugarcane farms where they used to have the cane gangs cutting um, cane and um, and that was a, a, a world, um, uh, a cultural workforce as well. So that was Italians and Sikhs and yeah. um, Chinese um, and that's how actually a lot of the spices came through as well because they were your, um, uh, your gangs, your cooking gangs as well. So ah. and they were always prepared. They were always preferred. Oh, so your Italians and your Sikhs and um, uh, uh, all those cultures were the preferred camp cooks as well because um, no one liked the British cooking. So um, <laughs> that was classic. Yeah, yeah, I've heard those stories firsthand. Ah. And friends who um, grew up in this area said they can still remember those smells of when the camp cooks would start, you know, um, cooking. It was always really wonderful. So, you know, 100 years ago we moved from mechanical labour so um, to, sorry, manual labour to mechanical labour. So there was a slashing of, you know, um, a workforce then. Um, and that's pretty much what's going to happen now. So it's finding different ways to, you know, um, like what the mining industry is um, and not too far away from facing either mm. is, you know, that transitioning All into... All the automated trucks and things, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And and um, when farmers start talking to me about those these days, you know, and they you know, might feel a bit of anxiety, I go, well, you know, you survived it 100 years ago and you've gone from strength to strength. You know, it's about adapting. And I said, you farmers, you adapt every day to the weather. You're so amazing. You're so resilient. And you are so innovative. And, you know, that's, you know, I draw a lot of inspiration from our farmers because, you know, Australian farmers, they're so quick-witted and they're so innovative in what they do because yeah. they don't get support from anyone else, you know. Yeah, they're, right. um, you know I look at, um, you know, our farmers around here and they're not on corporate welfare. There's no one out there helping them. So, you know, if there's a flood, they've got to get out there and help help themselves, their neighbours help each other. So that's why they're really tight-knit communities. And it's very difficult to come in as a newcomer sometimes over these communities because they are so tight-knit because they've been in the trenches so many yeah, times. Yeah, that makes sense. The Clarence Valley in particular has um, the uh, the highest number of natural disaster declarations in the state. Really? And the second highest in Australia. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, I know, it's pretty incredible. So they, you know, the fact that they have lasted, you know, like 175 years with their heritage industries, so, you know, timber, dairy, um, sugarcane, seafood, beef, the fact that those um, industries have lasted this length of time is a testament to the resilience of these of this sector, you know. And they haven't; um, they're not the um, uh, the what would you call it? They're not corporate farmers. They're still family owned and operated farms. Oh, so, cool. um, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. It's no 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 corporate farming here in the Clarence Valley at all. So, um, and that money that's made here. It goes, you know, it goes into that circular economy. Yeah. So, and it stays there. So, that's what's really important about, you know, uh, supporting local farmers. Do their, you know, so that that money stays here. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a very important mm-hmm. part. Yeah, so it doesn't bounce around to another yes. organisation or something. Yeah, on and other businesses actually. Mm. On uh, last week's episode, uh, I was talking to a good mate of mine, Isaac Holmes, and he was saying that he. Uh, worked a season out at his friend's farm in Quabba Station, uh, mustering uh, sheep or and then cattle and another one at Far North Queensland. And he was saying that one of the people he was working with said, don't come to me ever with just a problem. Come to me with a solution, like with a solution for your problem. And yeah. he was with, working with another fellow and this other fellows using this kind of, you know, trying to like work this thing out through other bit of sorry, through physics this moves through here and all right through this part should move through here because this will go then putting those different things together and eventually you had a crack and just you know fixed it and so um that yeah yeah, they were, they're, yeah so as innovative as they are but yes but with resilience too he was also saying that there was one day that they were up from i think it was like four in the morning mustering until about seven at night they just finished and then lightnings cracked at a branch somewhere, you know, down near the property and started a massive bushfire, a little big electrical oh storm. So they, exactly. And, yeah. you know, I just, I just take my hat off to our farmers because they, um, you know, they're, they're our unsung heroes Absolutely. Um, in Australia mm. and, uh, and they are in a position of not all of them are in the position of being the price maker, they're the price taker. And when you think of, um, like I just, and I'll use um, our farmer's market as an example, I say to some of my um, producers, that product is way too cheap because I know the time and energy you've put into that product 
and I know what inputs you've put into that product, why are you selling that so cheaply? Because that just un- undervalues everything that you've done there. Mm. And, um, and it's quite an interesting conversation to have with a farmer when they talk about their own value. Uh, and, uh, and I think sometimes they underestimate their own value because people don't tell them often enough how amazing they are and how much they need because, oh, you know, if we don't have farmers, we don't have food. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> And a lot of people, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, don't understand that. They think just, oh, if I just go to the shops, I just get the food and that chore's done. I don't really want yeah. to think an extra, yeah. extra yeah, two yeah. seconds about it. And, yeah, and Australia has some of the um, the, the has the t- some of the toughest food laws of anywhere on in the world. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, when it comes to, um, uh, you know, compliance matters, um, you know, New South the Food Authority and, you know, just all those things, what it takes for um, a farmer to get his product uh, to the market is not just even my market but to like a, a major market. It's just extraordinary what they have to go through to get that um, that uh, paddock to plate uh, happening. It's just like I'm not sure. Yeah, people just don't understand uh, how much um, goes into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With the effort that goes into the, um, the food and the food side of produce and farming and that sort of thing, uh, you obviously need water to grow your crops as well. There's been some discussions about uh, some ways that um, other people might have thought of damming or diverting the Clarence River. What would you? What's your opinion on the matter? And would you be opposed to damming or diverting the Clarence, or do you, would you have other actions in mind? So I think um, diverting um, or damming the Clarence is a, just a short-term solution for uh, those who live out west of the range, um, the Great Dividing Range. And uh, but what they haven't actually thought of, uh, and that's for cotton croppers out there, what they actually haven't thought of is the impact on uh, what that action would have on those in the Clarence River. So the Clarence River has, uh, well, Clarence Valley uh, produces sixty-five commodities. Uh, we and that generates around about oh, just under six hundred, um, oh sorry, half a billion dollars worth of uh, gross regional product for our region. So our agri-food economy uh, is the highest um, highest number of businesses. So one in four businesses in the Clarence Valley is uh, related to the agri-food economy. Right. Uh, we've got um, more people are employed in the agri-food economy than any other sector. Uh, so the other thing with regards to diverting the river, when the river gets to the mouth of Yamba there, after its 400-kilometre journey, and even in particular of time of um, flood, so we're talking about flood harvesting as well, which yep. is what they want to do, um, when it gets to Yamba, it gets caught up in what's called the eastern current and it's taken north, right? So it, and the same with the Hawkesbury and the same with the Hunter River as well. So Fraser Island um, up there in Queensland is a direct result of the Clarence, the Hunter and the Newcastle um, rivers flooding because really? there's a big trench there. Yeah, there's a okay. big trench there up at Fraser Island. And so when that river, those three rivers get, devo- well, when they turn left and head north, they're depositing um, their, their um, particles, so sand, um, all the way up the coast. So, you know, to divert that, um would have a humongous impact on the beaches all the way from, you know, Aluka upwards. 
so Gold Coast, all, all right, those yeah, beaches yeah. would be impacted. Um, I don't think people would be very happy about that if they knew that's what would happen. But the other thing to the benefit of the flooding is it also scours out um, uh, all the debris and the the chemicals that sit on the bottom of the river, you know, because of other farming practices. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 